0: Welcome to Your Books in Critical Theory. On this episode, I'm talking to Patricia Banks, who's an associate professor of sociology at Mount Holyoke College. She's written a book called Diversity and Philanthropy at African American Museums. So welcome to the podcast. Thank you. I'm really delighted to be talking to you about this book. Um, it's an incredibly well-timed book, both in terms of uh, questions about the future of the museum as an institution, and then also in a kind of uh, wider social political context. Uh, and one of the questions are, I guess we might start with this, is where did the kind of the interest in the book come from and, and how did it develop as part of your sort of broader intellectual project?
1: Mm-hmm. Well, thank you. I'm delighted to be here. So Great. Thank you so that's much good. for the invitation. <laughs> oh, that's good. So my research really broadly is on culture, patronage, and markets. And so, whereas research on cultural patronage typically focuses on social class, I also look at race and ethnicity. So my first book is Represent Art and Identity Among the Black Upper Middle Class. And for that book, I went to New York and Atlanta, and I interviewed art collectors to see how they construct their racial identity through collecting art associated with the African diaspora. Uh, And a lot of my collectors were also supporters of African-American museums. And so I became very curious about why people support African-American museums. At that point in time, there was also fundraising. Fundraising had really just started for the National Museum of African American History and Culture, and so I thought this would be a perfect yeah. second
0: project. I, I mean, that's the institution that uh, opens the book,
1: mm-hmm. uh,
0: and it'd be great actually to hear a bit more about, uh, I was going to say why that institution matters, but it's really obvious why mm-hmm. that institution matters, but why was that institution a good starting point in case study for the book?
1: Mm -hmm. So it's a a great starting point, because the National Museum of African American History and Culture is the largest African American museum in the United States. It's located in Washington, D.C. on the National Mall, and it's part of the Smithsonian Complex. So it is the first African American museum on the National Mall. Now, a lot of people, when you say, you know, do you know of an African-American museum? At this point, they do know about the National Museum of African-American History and Culture because it opened a couple of years ago in 2016. But there's actually over 300 uh, African-American museums and related institutions across the country And many of them have opened in recent years, like the National Museum of African-American History and Culture. And we even have a few that are slated to open in the next couple of years, such as the International African-American Museum in South Carolina and the National Museum, uh, the National African-American Museum of Music, which is going to open in Nashville, Tennessee. Uh, So you wouldn't have all these museums without patrons. Yeah. So patrons are a critical part of the story. And so uh, the National Museum of African American History and Culture provides a nice lens for us to start thinking about culture, race, and class, and patronage.
0: I mean, the, the really sort of obvious thing when you start to mention the patrons is, who, who are we? Like, who, who are we talking about here? What, mm-hmm. Both what kind of people, and then obviously later in the book, we'll talk about their practices and relationships with the institutions, mm-hmm. but are we talking about kind of primarily wealthy individuals? Mm-hmm. Um, what, what sort of individuals?
1: Mm-hmm. So the patrons of African American museums, as a group, and this is typical of patronage more broadly, are upper middle and upper class. Now they do differ when we compare the patrons of African American museums to majority institutions. They tend to be; um, they're more likely black. So there's a higher concentration of African-Americans who are associated with African-American museums. Uh, What's also important to note as well, though, and this is, of course, part of the story of the book, is that uh, they differ in some other ways as well. So we've got a group of people who are upper middle and upper class, uh, many of whom are African-Americans, but they're also non-blacks. Most of the non-blacks who support are whites. So it's mainly African-Americans and whites when we start to think about uh, race. Uh, And it's also the case that a lot of the supporters are in the private sector, but there are also people who are not in the private sector. For example, professors, people who work for government. So that's an important kind of uh, variation that's important to be sensitive to. Uh, There's also lifestyle differences. Uh, About half of the people I interviewed... Are What I call cultural connoisseurs and the other half are cultural appreciators and cultural connoisseurs are it's my term to refer to people whose lifestyle uh, is very much embedded in art and culture so they might be collectors for example. Uh, The cultural appreciators, uh, you know, they enjoy art and culture, but it's not a significant feature of their lifestyle. And I think that's important because when a lot of people think of museum patron, they think that everybody is deeply involved in art. And that's not necessarily the case. And then a final uh, kind of variation that's important to be attentive to is generation. So the majority of supporters were born... Uh, before 1965, and again, this is kind of typical of museum patronage more broadly, but there's also a contingent of those who were born after 1965, and so, uh, you know, it's important for us to be sensitive to those variations
0: as well. And I mean, it it brings up lots and lots of questions, (laughs) and they're all kind of variations of, so how do we explain this? But Mm -hmm. before we do, I I was struck quite early on um, by this idea about there being kind of particular Museum values, mm-hmm. and, I, and I think that's really crucial to the book, actually, because these are not, I suppose, neutral institutions that are just being given money, mm-hmm. You know, there, there is a sort of a specific dynamic about um, what these institutions are and what they do, mm-hmm. and, and that term "museum values" kind of, uh, I think, deserves to be given a little, a little airtime. Mm-hmm.
1: So, museum values is a term that I use to describe why patrons, uh, how they think about the value of the arts institutions that they support. So, uh, it refers to why they think these institutions should exist, how they think about uh, how these museums should adapt to the future, how they should be governed, how they should be organized. And of course, what I argue is that depending on their particular background, different patrons have distinct sets of museum values.
0: So (laughs) let's get into those. Okay. So, I mean, the the first thing uh, that that comes up uh, is the way that there are distinctive relationships depending on race. Mm -hmm. And obviously... uh, in the American context, like the Brits are obsessed by class and obviously mm-hmm. you know, race is one of the crucial dividing lines uh, in American sociological okay. analysis and in American society. And we could do this at a sort of theoretical level, but actually mm-hmm. one of the things I really liked about that early um, chapter in the book is that this is a very kind of personal human story. So mm-hmm. you've got the, the example of Jennifer mm-hmm. and, and Grant. And I, I wonder if you might tell us that story as a way mm-hmm. of kind of unpacking these different um, relationships with the institutions that are are kind of shaped and grounded by race. Mm
1: -hmm. So these, uh, Jennifer and Grant were two of the patrons. Of course, everybody has (laughs) pseudonyms. But they were two of the patrons who I interviewed. And let's begin with Jennifer. So Jennifer is a patron of uh, uh, one of the African-American museums in her city, and she talked about... One of the really valuable aspects of the patronage for her was the fact that she had an opportunity to interact with other African-American museums, other African-Americans in her community who were also upper middle and upper class. And she talked about the fact that when she was at events associated with majority cultural institutions, often she would be the only person there or just one of a few. And so the African-American Museum in her city became a focal point of connection for the black, middle, and upper class. And she described how there are few organizations in her city where all of the (laughs) African-Americans are members of and and support, and the museum was one of them. So she really valued her patronage for the role that it played in Intraracial and intra-class connections, so really building community among the Black uh, middle and upper class. Grant uh, talked about the value of patronage from his perspective for the interracial ties. So he described uh, one of the reasons that he got involved in supporting the museum that he gives to was he felt that there wasn't enough support by whites in the community. And he thought it was a worthy undertaking and he thought that more whites should be involved. And so he decided to get involved. Now, one of the differences between uh, Grant and Jennifer is that while Jennifer described the museum as a space where uh, she was renewing her ties with people who were friends and acquaintances, Grant shared that Uh, If it weren't for the museum, he wouldn't necessarily uh, have even come across um, some of the people who were there. And that's because, um, you know, in this city, the, the, the Black Museum disproportionately does get support from African Americans. And so for him, he really valued it as a space to create interracial bonds. Interracial bonds. And it was interesting because there were even some whites who I interviewed who, you know, in their professional lives and their personal lives, they actually do interact a yeah. lot with African Americans. So the museum wasn't the only yeah. place where they connected with African Americans, but they too thought about its value as, for them, being a bridge between communities. So helping to connect the African American and the white community.
0: And I, I think your, your analysis there was particularly measured actually. Um, it would be I think kind of quite easy to be very critical of some of those relationships Mm -hmm. um, particularly in a almost kind of transactional or or mechanistic Mm -hmm. way and you sort of develop that later in the book where you consider what the more corporate or professional relationships are Mm -hmm. and and, and one really obvious Mm -hmm. thing is, is a manifestation of social responsibility. So we mm-hmm. have you know, the backdrop of a moment where museums are being criticised for what kind of funding they take mm-hmm. and the extent of you know, art washing of particularly oil companies or mm-hmm. um, uh, drug or pharmaceutical mm-hmm. empires and stuff like this. And, and, and that, I suppose, almost you know, micro-relationship mm-hmm. that, that you show with grants uh, develops that. And, and it you know leads us to the question of, so so what are these sort of professional corporate mm-hmm. relationships with the african american
1: museum mm-hmm. so w- this is a kind of an interesting part of the book. Um, if we step back a minute and I'll just kind of talk about the history of african american museums uh, so historically african american museums we've always they, they've existed for a long yeah. time, so there were some that existed in the nineteenth century, but as a Type of museum, they really started growing in the 1960s, and it was part of what people called the black museum movement. And so we see uh, a concentration of these museums, and then we've just seen more being founded kind of over time. And so these museums, in their kind of early forms, were often referred to as uh, storefronts. They were small institutions. People would start them. And uh, there were a lot of volunteers who were supporting them. So they were not uh, like the majority institutions that were deeply kind of connected to the corporate sector. And so this is one of the kind of interesting parts of the story uh, that you see with my book is that you really do have a set of African-American museums, not all of them, just like this is not the case with all majority museums, but with the larger African-American museums, they, they are getting corporate donations. And uh, so what you end up with is these museums will sometimes have um, uh, very long-term relationships with corporations in some cases. So in some cases, corporations have been founding donors of these museums. And since then, they've continued to keep ties uh, through having a member on a board, having people serve on committees and and uh, giving donations like supporting galas. And so what I found is that for people who work in the corporate sector, who work in the f- for-profit sector, they often think about their patronage in relationship to their careers. Yeah. So there's kind of two sides of it. Uh, one is the doing good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so the doing good is that they are connecting it to the ethos of corporate social responsibility, um, and this is an idea that corporations have an obligation to not only maximize profit, but to also serve their stakeholders, such as the communities where they are doing business. And so for the supporters who work in the corporate sector, they would often think about their patronage at African-American museums as an articulation of their companies as well as their broader profession. Uh, kind of obligation to give back. So they would talk about it in those ways. Um, In some cases, it was very specific to companies. So people would have, you know, their company had been a founding donor, and so uh, someone in their company suggested, I'm rotating off the board, you know, you should, uh, now it's a good time for you to try to get involved. So they would see it connected to their job, but then also just more broadly. So there would be business associations and particular communities, and um, might get recruited because of their involvement there so that's kind of the doing good the other side of that is the doing well (laughs) is the doing well Uh, which in that sense what it means is that uh patronage offers opportunities for one to kind of uh network for some in some circumstances so uh In some cases, uh, people would invite clients to have tours of museums. Uh, In some cases, they would invite clients to fundraisers. So they would, if their company purchased a table, they would invite clients to sit at the table. And uh, even if they didn't do that, because of the high concentration of uh, people who worked in the private sector at these events, you have an opportunity to connect with uh, people at your company, to connect with people uh, at other businesses. So they often talked about it in both of those ways. It's an opportunity to do good, but also do well.
0: And I mean, th- these are really uh, standard kind of stories mm-hmm. of uh, the Contemporary Museum and struggle for, for money. Mm-hmm. Um, Were there particular kind of differences around the African-American museum? Or is this a story of, as you kind of gestured towards, when museums reach a certain scale, a certain mm-hmm. uh, position in the field, then the baggage of, you have to pay for this wing, you know, comes in, and the easiest way to do that is, is the corporate direction.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think it's, it's, really, it's really fascinating. So uh, part of this absolutely is about the maturation of a field of museums. Part of what happens is that, you know, when you get to a certain size, there's a certain amount of resources that are required. Now, I will say one of the things that kind of complicates the situation for African American museums is, as I noted earlier, one of the key uh, kind of groups of supporters are African Americans who are upper middle and upper class. But we also have wealth inequality. Race yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. related wealth inequality. So, what happens when a key stakeholder has less wealth? Has less wealth. So, in some ways, it's kind of interesting to think about um, the degree to which African American museums, in terms of kind of organizational support, are dependent in some ways um, on you know, corporations and other ways. Uh, that majority institutions might not be.
0: Yeah. And I mean, again, you know, thinking historically, you mentioned the, uh, the, long, uh, the long-term existence of these institutions, mm-hmm. but the comparative later arrival at the mm-hmm. same scale as, you know, uh, as a Smithsonian or mm-hmm. as a mental or, or something like that. And, it, you know, it's difficult to magic up an endowment if the action took place 200 years ago. So Exactly.
1: Yeah. Exactly, absolutely. I mean, this is, there's, this book was so exciting to work on because, uh, you know, historically, uh, much of the research in the sociology of culture has not systematically looked in depth at race and ethnicity. But I also feel that there are so many new questions that it kind of opens up. And absolutely, when you are an institution that Uh, you know, has been amassing uh, wealth from particular families for, you know, decades, Uh, you're just in a very different position.
0: I I mean, the the really uh, obvious uh, kind of example of that, uh, I suppose, uh, both different dynamics uh that play out through the lens of race and ethnicity and actually a different lens of analysis is this generational question yeah. and I, this is a chapter that um, kind of look, looking over it really struck me because it, it felt exactly what is going on right now is mm-hmm. is in that chapter and the okay. sense of actually the kind of younger supporters having very distinct cultural and political Focuses, Mm -hmm. relationships, and and also demands of Mm -hmm. the institution. Mm -hmm. Uh, And and I think it'd be fascinating to hear uh, those differences. Mm -hmm.
1: So, uh, as I noted earlier, so uh, majority of the supporters are uh, from born before 1965, but there's a contingent of them who are born after 1965, and their museum values. Are different. Their museum values are different. And so uh, they tend to be more sensitive to wanting their museums that they support to be engaged with contemporary culture, contemporary politics, as well as contemporary technology. Um, so I can talk about each of those a little bit. Uh, when it comes to contemporary technology, what I found was that there was widespread agreement among patrons that African-American museums need to situate themselves technologically uh, to um, be right at the cutting edge. But one of the differences was how individual patrons themselves engage the museum. And so what I found was among the uh, participants who were born after 1965, they're much more likely to engage their museums through social media, such as Facebook, um, and to really feel that uh, for them to maintain their connection to the museum, that the museums needed to uh, highlight that. So that was um, interesting technologically. When it comes to art, uh, they were often more interested in museums focusing on emerging artists um, and uh, even hip hop culture when it came to things like what type of music should be played at events. (laughs) Which, again, is kind of interesting when we start to think about uh, arguments about culture of poverty. So culture associated with um, kind of urban America that oftentimes gets associated with, um, uh, you know, continuing more marginalization of those groups. And of course, there's been a lot of critique, yeah. a deep, deep critique of those arguments. But what we see here is a group of patrons, younger patrons, who very much are embracing it. So we see, um, you know, kind of a melding of these two worlds. And then politically. Uh, younger patrons are often more interested in having their museums engage contemporary political movements such as Black Lives Matters. And, you know, theoretically, what I argue is that part of the reason we see museum values differing among various groups is because of the different experiences that people have and the different identities. And when it comes to you know, ideas about what should the museum do politically—that has to do partly because the younger patrons are more directly involved in some of these political mo- movements. So they are involved themselves. They have friends who are involved, um, and so they 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 are very aware of them. And, and and when it comes to their kind of broader lives, they see the museum as a space that is
0: appropriate uh, to kind of engage them. I mean, you Speculate a little in terms of, you know, if something like the National Museum had existed in you know, sort of uh, middle 1960s, mm-hmm. you might have had similar uh, struggles over content, mm-hmm. but the lack of that formal institution didn't yeah. give that opportunity. So in, in, in some ways we're kind of, uh, I suppose it's like a, a testament to Again, the institutional status mm-hmm. that means you can have these struggles, mm-hmm. but they're struggles nonetheless. Absolutely, <laughs> and they're, you know over both you know content, space mm-hmm. about relationships, and and that kind of sense of, of different uh, tastes and relationships comes through in the things you mentioned much earlier, mm-hmm. which is connoisseurs and, and appreciators. And, mm-hmm. and I was sort of struck by those two terms, and, and it did lead me to wonder not just kind of what they are, because again, you've touched on that, mm-hmm. but but the sense of like. How does that work? Why are there these kind of different modes of Mm engagement?
1: And so what's uh, one of the key... Well, so partly, so if we think about kind of why are there these modes of engagement, part of it is, again, when we start to think about uh, the broader lifestyle that people have. So when it comes to, for example, a collector, you have a collector who collects perhaps uh, historical objects related to... Uh, African Americans in the United States, or they're collecting African American art, uh, you know, they kind of bring that, that interest and that taste to their involvement with African American museums. And so they are very conscious mm-hmm. about things such as the role of African American museums and valorizing culture associated with the African American museum, with things such as the position. Of African American museums in the broader field of museums uh, with respect to status, yeah. as well as African American museums in relationship to one another. They're very sensitive to those types of issues and have some very clear thoughts right, about right, right, yeah. um, kind of the appropriate direction to take. Uh, in contrast, when it came to connoisseurs, excuse me, when it came to appreciators, appreciators. Uh, would often make statements such as, uh, you know, I'm very passionate about this museum, but it wasn't the collection that brought me here. I'm here for other reasons. And then when I would ask them to comment about, what direction should collecting take? What direction for, should exhibitions take? They were more reluctant to comment about those things and would say, "I trust the curators versus the uh, connoisseurs would have very clear opinions about, uh, you know, exhibitions that they thought were well done, artists that should be collected, artists that should not be collected, the types of objects that are appropriate for the museum to collect, the types that are not. Uh, so they would often, some would even say, if they were on the museum board, that they, they thought that they had that role mm. and that other people, including um, sometimes staff, would even look to them to play that role. Yeah.
0: <laughs> That's really interesting. And it, it particularly, I guess, kind of sets up, uh, all the way through this, I've been gesturing to how, of of the immediate moment this book is and how well, well-timed well it is, which is a minor miracle considering how long publications take <laughs> to get out and, and stuff like this. And, and I'm struck, you know, we're recording this in New York and there's been a series of, uh, kind of controversies over New York's cultural institutions, not specifically African-American, about how they will be funded, mm-hmm. what they will be representing, what, you know, what mm-hmm. goes in and, you know, who their audiences mm-hmm. are. And, and I guess, where do you think the book what do you think the book tells us or where do you think the book fits in with this kind mm-hmm. of contemporary discussion in terms of the sort of future of both philanthropy and then mm-hmm. this kind of contested but important term of sort of diversity in the museum mm-hmm. sector?
1: I so, um, I think in so many ways, I think African-American museums offer a lot of insight on issues that are being dealt with across the cultural world. And even when we start to think about issues such as being inclusive with respect to audiences, African-American museums uh, have been grappling with and negotiating those issues since they started, because why did these institutions start? Part of the reason they're starting is because, you know, in the 1960s, majority museums are not as kind of inclusive when it comes to audiences uh, from racial and ethnic minority groups when it comes to art uh, associated with racial and ethnic minorities and when it comes to the leadership. Uh, And so African-American museums have really been pioneers when it comes to including racial and ethnic minority cultural producers, when it comes to the patrons, and when it comes to audience. So I think in many ways, African-American museums offer a nice model to look to. I think one of the really critical issues going on is diversity Mm -hmm. on uh, cultural boards. Recently, a study showed that in the United States, close to half of all museum boards are all white in the United States. And it's what I think my research shows is that we really need to have diverse museum boards because people bring different perspectives two museums based on their race and ethnicity. And so to that end, um, some exciting developments have been, uh, uh, I think three foundations came together recently, the let's see, it was the Ford Foundation, the Mellon Foundation, and the Alice Walton Foundation, they came together to support efforts by the American Alliance of Museums to help diversify boards. And so I think efforts like that are very important. So, I mean, it's exciting to see that uh, a lot of stakeholders in the museum world are concerned about these issues. Uh, so I think that's one thing that's important. I also want to note, though, in uh, the chapter on uh, race, I also talk about ethnicity. Yeah. So in the, the at the very end, I talk about ethnicity, and I think this is also an important point to bring up when we start to think about policy. Yeah. Because when we're thinking about diversity and cultural patronage, we often think uh, about, for example, people of African descent. It's African Americans, and what I found in my research is that uh, the museum values of Uh, first and second generation black people in the United States. So, for example, people uh, who are from Africa, from the West Indies, either they or their parents, uh, think about uh, the value of African-American museums in some ways that are different than third generation and beyond black people. So, for example, they are often uh, particularly sensitive to board diversity with respect to first and second generation. They are often sensitive to audience. Um, To what degree is our audience uh, uh, ethnically inclusive, particularly given the fact that in some of the communities that these museums are located in, there are more and more uh, immigrants. Uh, And then also the content of, uh, for example, exhibitions. Mm -hmm. So having exhibitions that speak to uh, first and second generation uh, people of African descent. So I think that's actually another critical issue when we start to think about uh, diversity and the cultural world more broadly. There's a lot of, we start to think about race and ethnicity. Uh, we, we need to be attentive to uh, diversity within racial and ethnic uh, communities with respect to generational status.
0: I mean, the, the book is just, there's a wonderful illustration of, of the depth Um, Of the topics and and, and data actually that that the book contains. Uh, And we've only really scratched the surface of it. So it seems a bit sort of mean to kind of say, So what are you doing next? (laughs) But but are you thinking, I mean, there's a lot more you you can uh, develop here, or are you going to be doing something slightly different? Mm -hmm.
1: Well, uh, you know, it's really one of the nice things about my kind of research agenda is all of the projects really build on each other and grow out of it so as I noted earlier uh, I became curious about uh, museum patronage because many of the collectors I interviewed were supporters of African-American museums and what I found in the course of this research is that many of the supporters of African-American museums are uh, corporations so the next project the the project that I'm working on now uh Um, writing a book on this topic is looking at corporate support of black culture. So that includes not only corporations that are giving donations to museums, African American museums and other cultural institutions, but also looking at corporate sponsorship of black music. Um, So across the kind of black cultural sector. And what I'm finding is that corporate support of black culture is what I call a form of diversity capital.
0: Yeah. Yes. Yeah. 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 Uh,
1: so I, this is a term that I developed, in, um as I've been working on this project, and I refer to uh, diversity capital as cultural practices um, and values that allow organizations to solve problems and leverage opportunities related to race and ethnicity and other social differences. And one way that uh, Black Cultural Patronage uh, does this is it allows corporations to signal that they value diversity and inclusion. So it allows them to construct a public image which um, demonstrates that they do value
0: equity. And I'd assume there might be some tension between their actual practices and those signals.
1: Well, it, it's interesting because. Uh, there is whenever we start to think about uh, kind of public image, yeah. there there can always there can be moments when there is a crisis. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, and I term them racial image crisis. When um, you might see uh, patronage in particular to respond to that to that crisis.
0: But that's hopefully for the next podcast.
1: Yes, absolutely. <laughs>